You know, when I look at the world around us today, I, I see them craving for wisdom. But one of their problems is they look everywhere for wisdom except for where? Up. The psalmist said in Psalm 121, I will look up to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Do you think maybe if we accept the biblical premise that God made us, and as I said earlier, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Do you think that maybe God might have some wisdom about how to live our lives? Well, if you have your Bibles with you, if you could turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is where we will be studying today and uh we started a series on this psalm uh last time i was with you and we're talking about um the word of god the word of god is the overarching theme of psalm 119 and so as we dig into this second part the power of the word part two. This time we're talking about staying on the path because the Christian life uh, is a journey. And actually it's interesting because as I was began to dig into the psalm to begin this series, I thought about the fact that on my blog, the tagline is encouraging and admonishing uh, my fellow believers on this journey that we call the Christian life. And when I do my podcast every week, I try to use that tagline as well uh, because we're all on a journey. And the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And so it's important for us to keep these things in mind as we go through this study. To re for a slight amount of review... Uh, we need to be reminded that each section of Psalm 119 is a letter from the Hebrew alphabet. So today's section is called Beth, and we start with verse 9 of Psalm 119, and we read through verse 16. So I'm just going to read today's passage, and then I will open in a word of prayer. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that you are here because you said where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. 
But Lord, we also invite You here in a special way that You would minister to our hearts, that You would teach us the things um, that You would have us to learn. The psalmist said, Teach me to behold wondrous things from Thy law. And Lord, we ask that this morning, uh, we ask that we would be changed people, all of us, myself included, for having been here. And Lord, we pray for Pastor Shane um, as he as he is away, that you would refresh him and renew him and prepare him uh, for coming back and serving here once again. And then also for Heather as she begins Little Sparrow's Preschool next week, Lord, that you would just... Um, Work out all the details for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I said, the name of the sermon today is The Power of the Word, Staying on the Path. One other thing to make you aware of is that I have some cross-references that I will be referring to throughout the message. And I would encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to be prepared to look those up. Um, and to share them with us. This helps me so that I can not turn as many pages in my Bible and also helps you hopefully stay awake. So, the first point if you're taking notes is to become or remain people of the Word. So let's reread the first three verses of our passage, Psalm 119, 9-11. Psalm 119, 9-11. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? With my whole heart I have sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So we see here a semi-rhetorical but actually an actual question that the psalmist asked, how shall a young man cleanse his way? And then he answers it immediately and says, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. You know, we live in a culture today that says, you should live your truth, I'll live my truth, and we'll just, we'll just be uh, the best we can be at living our own truth. But the Bible tells us that Truth is definitive, that it is that there is an actual truth and that it doesn't change from person to person, that it is the way that it is. And why is this? Because God, who is the truth, instituted truth for us. Why did God tell Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Was it because he wanted to deprive them? No, it was because he wanted to save them from death. He said, the day you eat of this tree, you will die. Now, of course, they didn't physically die that day. But that day, an expiration date was put on their lives. You ever think about that? Before they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were able to live forever in paradise. But the day they ate of that tree, they had an expiration date put on their lives. And they lived somewhere in the neighborhood of 900 years, which to us today seems like a lot. But 
compared to eternal life, it's nothing but a vapor. And then what happened is that God kicked them out of the Garden of Eden because if they had eaten of the Tree of Life, after eating of the Tree of the Knowledge of Good and Evil, they would have lived eternal life steeped in sin. I would have had to live an eternal life in this wheelchair. My friends, that's not where I want to live my eternal life. I want to have an incorruptible, undefiled body to live an eternal life in. So that's why the tree of life was taken away from Adam and Eve because of this. So the way to have a lack of chaos in life is to follow the principles and guidelines of the scriptures. I'm convinced that the majority of people who are atheists today are atheists because they do not want someone to run their life. And if there is no God, then I don't have to be responsible to that God for the way that I live. That, that's blunt, but, it, but I believe it's true. Then in verse 10 we see, With my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. God knows that we as sinners are a wandering people. The psalmist said, He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Think about the children of Israel. They were 400 plus years as slaves in Egypt. I believe it was 430. And in the in the Pentateuch, in Deuteronomy, it actually or in uh, Exodus, it actually says that they were relieved from Egypt 430 years to the day after they were brought to Egypt by Joseph for the saving of their people. So it's interesting that something that was done for the saving of their people turned into slavery. And then they had to be redeemed from that. But I think one of the reasons God caused them to go into slavery is because he wanted them to have motivation to leave Egypt and to serve him. And if they had not been turned into slaves, they might have been content to stay with Egypt and stay with the false gods. But here in this 10th verse, we see, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. The children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they wandered from the commandments of God. Because when Moses went up on the mountain to get the law from God, to get the Ten Commandments from God, the people said to Aaron, we don't know where Moses, where this Moses came from and we don't know if he's coming back to us. So please make us gods to go before us as we travel this wilderness. And so Aaron takes all their gold and jewelry that they got from the Egyptians and he fashions a golden calf. Now he told Moses that he just threw the gold in and this calf came out, but we know that it takes skill to shape metal into the shape of a calf. So we know there was some will on the part of Aaron. But the whole reason that these people were sentenced to 40 years wandering in the wilderness is because they did not believe God when God said through Caleb and Joshua, 
the land is plenteous and God is with us. Let's go take the land. And they said, no, we cannot because there are giants in the land. And the people believed the ten unfaithful spies instead of the two faithful. And they were sentenced to 40 years wandering in the wilderness. When they could have gone in, it appears by the timeline, in two or three weeks. But they had to wait until they died and their kids could go into the land. And then Moses himself, because he wanders from trusting God, and he hit the rock when God said, just speak to the rock. And not only that, but he said, can we provide you water? As if it was him and Aaron that was providing the water. But it wasn't, it was God. So the psalmist says here, with my whole heart have I sought thee, let me not wander from thy commandments, because he knows that we wander. And then he says, thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. If you look at Jesus, when he's tempted in the wilderness, in Matthew chapter 4, you will find that he quotes scripture after scripture when the devil gives him these temptations. So if the very Son of God memorized the book of Deuteronomy and recited scripture to the devil when the devil tempted him, what does that say about us and how we should approach temptation? Let's look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 to 11. Colossians 3, verses 8 to 11. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of God who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, uh, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So, Paul here in Colossians is talking about putting off the old man with his deeds because Christ has come and he has changed you. Remember we read in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But I want you to notice, because I have another cross-reference in the same chapter. So if somebody is still there and wants to read verses 12 through 15, now that we've put off these bad things, what is the next thing we need to do? Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God be in your hearts, which also you are called in one body and be thankful. So notice here that God is saying, put off the evil things, but then you have to put on the good things to replace them. We can't have simple voids in our Christian life. We have to have 
some things in our Christian life. So when we put off the bad, we need to put on the good. Put off, put on. That's why the Bible says to put on the whole armor of God. Because we cannot stand there spiritually naked and expect to have success in our Christian life. We have to be prepared. We have to be ready. Many years ago in a Moscow theater, matinee idol Alexander Rostov was converted while playing the role of Jesus in a sacrilegious play entitled Christ in a Tuxedo. He was supposed to read two verses from the Sermon on the Mount, remove his gown and cry out, Give me my tuxedo and top hat. But as he read the words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. He began to tremble. Instead of following the script, he kept reading from Matthew 5, ignoring the coughs, calls, and foot stomping of his fellow actors. Finally, recalling a verse he had learned in his childhood in a Russian Orthodox church, he cried, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. From Luke twenty three forty two. Before the curtain could be lowered, Rostov had trusted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And that's from a book called Why Christians Sin by J.K. Johnson, Discovery House, 1992, page 121. So, it's interesting the power of the Word of God. You know, there have been so many stories. Lee Strobel uh, and uh, Josh McDowell and others who have opened the Bible with the express purpose of proving it wrong and making it a mockery, but then they come to know the God of the Bible and He changes their life. And so as we consider this first point of becoming or remaining people of the Word, we realize how important it is. And one thing I often say is that you can know the Word, as in memorize the Bible. But if you don't know the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ, then it will profit you nothing. One of my favorite stories along those lines is of a man who um, was visiting Israel. I think he was a pastor, and he was visiting Israel, and he was talking to this guy whose job was to be a scribe in Israel. And he spent all day, every day, copying down the Psalms. I guess in some places in Israel they still use the old-fashioned scrolls, and so his job was to copy down the Psalms and get the scrolls ready for people to use and This pastor said, well, it must be wonderful to spend time with God in the Psalms every day and to read those powerful words. And he said, one of the most sobering things, he said, actually, I'm an atheist. So these words that he was copying down, no doubt he would get to Psalm 119 at some point. But these words that he was copying down meant nothing to him. Because he did not believe in the God who wrote the words. 
So if you don't believe in the Word made flesh, you're not going to believe in profit from the written Word of God. It's so important for us to get that in the right perspective. So once we've sought to remain or become men and women of the Word, what does that allow us to do? It allows us to seek and rejoice in God's direction. A lot of times people say, I don't know what to do next, or I don't know why this world is so hopeless, or I'm just so confused and lost. Well, can you imagine having the perspective that you came from nothing, that you're here for no purpose, and that when you die, nothing happens? No wonder people are confused and lost. There's no hope and no point to life if that's the way you live. But my Bible tells me that I was made for a purpose. That I was fearfully and wonderfully made and that my soul knows right well. My Bible tells me that I was saved for a purpose. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works of righteousness, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for works that he before ordained that we should walk in them. So I don't believe I came from nothing and I live in nothingness and then I'm going back to nothing. I believe I came from God as a gift to my parents that I'm living a life that is has purpose before God and that when I die, my goal is to have him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So every part of my life, my beginning, my middle, my end, has purpose. And I don't understand how people don't live that way. But let's look at verses 12 through 14 of Psalm 119, where it says, Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. So, he has talked about hiding the word in his heart. And then he says, Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. Jesus said, I'm leaving you my Holy Spirit when I go to heaven so that he may guide you into all truth. And so what the psalmist is saying here is he is saying, Oh Lord, teach me thy statutes. In other words, guide me into all truth. And then he says, With my lips I have declared the judgments of thy mouth. There are many ways in which we remember things. I know for me, a lot of times when I write something down, I don't even necessarily have to go back to what I've written down, but the very act that I wrote it down helps me remember it more. It, for some, it's if I speak it, then I remember it. I apply this to my experience in the theater when I'm preparing for a play and I have lines to memorize, I will speak them out loud over and over and over again until I know them. 
And that's probably a good way to do scripture memory as well. So, he says, Lord, teach me your statutes. He says, with my lips I have declared all the judgments of thy mouth. So he is sharing publicly out loud the things that God has done. I think that's important too. That's why it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For the word the heart man believeth unto salvation and with the mouth confession is made. So the heart and the mouth working together to complete the process of salvation. It's important to declare these things audibly. And then, verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. One of the things that's so exciting about the Christian faith, and my personal faith, is that God is a promise-keeping God. He said He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ever ask or think. And surely he has done that in my life. I was born three months premature in May of 1979. And my mom says she knew as soon as she heard me cry that I was going to live. My dad said he wasn't sure. And he tells me about wandering the campus of that hospital. The first one being in Jackson. Then I went to Ann Arbor to the University of Michigan, and I went to Butterworth and Grand Rapids. And my dad recounts begging God for my life. And my parents raised me with the idea that God does not make mistakes, that he had a purpose for my life. And when I was five years old, I came to know the Lord Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I'd like to say that that was the end of the road, that I always was content in the Lord Jesus, that I knew what my calling was and that I was grateful for it. But that actually was the beginning of the journey for me because for the next nine years I was bitter. And I said, God, I believe you for my eternal life, but my temporary destination stinks. Why did you put me in this wheelchair? And when I turned 14, God used a conference about the ten unchangeables of life to bring me to terms with the fact that He did not, in fact, make a mistake with my life. That the way He made me physically was His plan. In the year preceding that, I had hit rock bottom because my seemingly healthy baby brother died of SIDS at three months of age. And I remember in the months following saying, God, why did you take this healthy baby and leave me? Because I'm completely useless. For about a year, I was bitter. If I had been able to run away, then I would have. But my battery had limits. And so I was a captive audience. My parents made sure I was in church every Sunday. But I'll tell you, there were some days when I would go into my front yard I would look at the cars going down Byron Center 
And I would say to myself, what if I just drove out in front of one of these cars and ended it all? Then I could go to heaven and be with John, Michael, and not have to deal with life here on earth. But I'm thankful that God stayed my hand, that he held on to me, that he didn't give up on me because I was mad at him. But that he said, you know, if you get off the throne of your life, Andrew, then I can use you. And I can tell you that the Lord's testimonies are great riches. When we went into COVID, March 13th, 2020, I was working at Potter's House Christian School. They called us into a room and they said, we can't. We have to close down the school for three weeks to slow the spread. I think it was about a month later when they said, we're not going back to school this year. Hopefully in the fall. I was actually in my home for church, for work meetings, for theater things, everything in my home. For 86 straight days, I did nothing but go through the drive through at the bank. That was the only thing I did to get out of my house for almost three months. And if you had told me that first day that that was going to be my reality, I would have said, there's no way I can do it. But God brought to mind the passage in Psalms that said, be still and know that I am God. And so every day I had to say, God... Tell me what you want me to do today. Tell me how to get through today. And when I look back over that 86-day period, I'm reminded of the faithfulness of God over and over when I wanted to throw in the towel and just be frustrated and just give up. I don't know how people made it through that without God because that would have been another instance or without Jesus, I would have been suicidal because there there is nothing to live for when you're stuck in your house all day. But when it's about living for Christ, then you seek out who you can encourage and you seek out what you can do with your time. I learned how to how to edit audio and I bought um, audio production equipment so that I could move my podcast home because I had been podcasting out of a local radio station for seven plus years. But this forced me to move my operation home, which is probably something I should have done earlier. But God has a way of putting us in positions where we have to do what he wants us to do. And so I'm thankful for what God did in that instance. And I can truly say that his testimonies are like great riches. And to be still and know that he is God, you have to be still. So I'm glad that he made me be still for that period of time. Can we look at, by way of cross-reverence, John 14, 26 and 27? John 14, 26 and 27. John 14, verse 26. But the Helper, 
the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, and my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, let, not, let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you love me, you will have rejoice, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before, it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit so that you're not left comfortless. Because he's telling the disciples who have walked with him, who have given up everything to follow him. Remember Peter said when, when the 5,000 were fed and then they were following him along, they're like, maybe, you know, we were fed lunch by Jesus, but maybe if we stick around a little longer, he'll, he'll feed us supper too. And Jesus knew this. And he started explaining the spiritual truth of how he wanted them to be fed spiritually. And he wasn't interested in feeding them physically again. And they all turned and walked away except for the twelve. And he turned to the twelve and he said, will you go away also? And Peter said, to whom shall we go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. So this one who... As the words of eternal life, this one who Peter said rightly is the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, I'm leaving. And the disciples were afraid. Matter of fact, at one point, just a few verses after that, Jesus starts talking about leaving. And Peter says, far be it from you. And what does Jesus say? Get the behind me Satan. Talk about the ups and downs of life. You go from a great high to a cataclysmic low. That was Peter's life in a nutshell, but it's also so many of ours. Can we look at James 1, 5 and 6? James 1, 5 and 6. any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask out of, ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You know, when I look at the world around us today, I, I see them craving for wisdom. But one of their problems is they look everywhere for wisdom except for where? Up. The psalmist said in Psalm 121, I will look up to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Do you think maybe if we accept the biblical premise that God made us, and as I said earlier, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made by God, do you think that maybe God might have some wisdom about how to live our lives? Yes, I do. If you create something, you have the power to make it do what you want it to do. 
or more accurately, to demand of it the thing that you want from it. So if we acknowledge God as creator, we need to acknowledge him as the captain of our lives. And if we put him first, our life will be blessed. Does that mean there won't be trials? No. I didn't wake up the day after I was saved and be able to walk. I woke up still needing someone to get me out of bed, still needing someone to dress me. I didn't wake up the day after I rededicated my life to Christ at the age of 14 and being able to walk. But I woke up with a renewed understanding of what God was doing through the difficulties of my life. And that's what he can do for you. We need to ask him for wisdom. We need leaders who will ask him for wisdom. I'm reminded of what King Solomon said when God said, What do you want from me, Solomon? Do you want riches? Do you want fame? Or do you want wisdom? And Solomon said something that I wish every president would say when they take office. I am but a little child, and your people is great. Therefore, grant me wisdom and bless me as you have blessed my father, David. Now, Solomon didn't keep this up. Solomon went his own way for a while and learned some hard lessons, which is why he would write later in Ecclesiastes, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Because apart from God, all is. Jesus said, Without me, you can do nothing. And Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the difference between life with Christ and life without Christ. There is a story of Albert Einstein on a train. Everyone in his car recognized him and knew who he was. Prior to the train leaving the station, the conductor made his routine inspection to ensure that each passenger had their tickets. The conductor noticed Einstein fumbling through his things in his pockets and papers. When the conductor reached him, Einstein admitted that he had lost his ticket and could not remember his stop. That's no problem, Mr. Einstein, the conductor replied. We all know who you are. Einstein responded, I know who I am too, but I do not know where I am going. Many people in life do not know where they are going, whether to heaven or to hell, let alone God's per what God's purpose for them is. And that quote is from Paul J. Brown. You can know where you're going. You can know God's purpose for your life. John wrote in the first epistle to John that these are written that you may know that you have eternal life. So we can know. Anyone who tells you that we can't know is lying to you. So what happens after we become men and women of the word or seek to remain men and women of the word 
and we seek and rejoice in God's direction. When we do that, one of the the best results is that we enjoy the journey of the Christian life. We have joy in the journey of our Christian life. Now, again, let me hasten to add that there's it's not all going to be sunshine and rainbows. We heard our brother talk about dealing with a stroke three years ago. My family had COVID in December and most of us weathered it pretty well, but my mom had the post-COVID blood clots and ended up in the hospital for three days over Christmas. I believe we lost a couple of our older parishioners to COVID this past year. So trials will come. But there's an old song that says, Every joy or trial falleth from above, traced upon our dial by the Son of Love. We may trust Him fully, all for us to do. They who trust Him wholly find Him wholly true. The eleven apostles who were left after Judas died of suicide. They all were martyred or attempted to be martyred for their faith in the Lord Jesus. Tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down because he did not feel worthy to be killed in the same way as his master. I read one thing that actually said that Peter's wife was martyred too and that she was forced to watch him be martyred before she was. They attempted to martyr John the apostle. He was boiled in oil and somehow survived. Was exiled to the Isle of Patmos where to the best of our knowledge he died of a ripe old age. But he was the exception to the rule. I believe that even Mathis, who was the original replacement for Judas, died a martyr's death. So these people gave their all to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I think the, the enjoyment of the Christian life is more about embracing joy than about happiness. See, there's so much today that says life is about happiness. Do whatever makes you happy. But God's call is to holiness. And I do believe that if we're pursuing holiness, happiness can be the result. Happiness can be the result, but if we make happiness the goal, we will fail. So let's look at Psalm 119, 15 and 16. Psalm 119, 15 and 16, as we finish our passage today. It says, I will meditate in thy precept and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. So not only do we need to be under the sound of God's word on Sunday morning, but we also need to read it for ourselves, study it for ourselves, meditate on it ourselves. And this idea of meditating on the Word of God is sort of like a cow chewing its cud. 
a cow will chew their cud and sometimes digest it, then bring it up to chew some more. And that's the way we need to go about truly studying the Word of God. And then verse 16, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. The idea here is almost like a skipping and a a joy-filled delight. Think about the thing that makes you the most happy. Maybe when you were a kid, it was hearing that bell on the ice cream truck going down the street in your neighborhood. We didn't get ice cream from the ice cream truck very often, but I remember a couple occasions when we did, and I remember seeing the ice cream trucks when I was a kid and wishing every time that I could get that that ice cream sandwich, especially the, the vanilla ice cream sandwich with the strawberry ice cream. Vivid memory. But that's the kind of delight that we are to have in God's Word. Thing is, if we follow God's word, we don't have, we're not going to have everything perfect. But we will avoid a lot of the, of the pratfalls that other people have. I'm not going to get a call one of these days from somebody saying, I knew you 20 years ago and I'm the mother to your son. I'll never get that call because I have never I am committed to purity before marriage. And I'm ex- I'm still praying that God would give me marriage, still looking forward to all that that entails, but I know that waiting for it is worth it because God has a plan and God's plans are good. And I think if we really want to see revival, Here in Michigan, here in Grand Rapids, here in the United States of America, we need to get back to the blueprint of the Bible. Because so often today, people that call themselves Christians are doing the exact same thing that the devil did in the Garden of Eden. When they read a command of God, they're like, did God really say? And I'm here to tell you, God did really say. And unless we're willing to draw lines in the sand, we will not see a revival in our land. That's the bottom line. Just a couple more cross references as we finish up. I hope this the, this study has been encouragement. To you, it's an encouragement to me to realize how amazing God's Word is. Can we look at Psalm 40, verse 8? Psalm 40, verse 8. The psalmist had a lot to say about God's law. 
I think part of that is that the law was probably the biggest portion of scripture that he had at the point in time that he was alive. In Psalm 1 it says, Your law is my delight day and night. If we want to have a successful Christian life, we need to make his word our delight day and night. When God was encouraging Joshua before he went into the promised land, he said, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day or night. And then, and only then, will you have good success. We need to heed those words for ourselves. Let's look at John eight thirty one to 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus is laying it out here. He said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. There's a lot of people that say, When I was seven, or when I was eight, or when I was nine, I prayed a prayer to receive the Lord Jesus. And I'm not saying you can't. I was five. I know that my salvation was genuine at that point. But remember what we said earlier. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's not about the praying of the prayer. But if you hear his word and you do it, then you are his disciples. And he says, if this truth sets you free, you'll be free indeed. In John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is him. He is the truth. He says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And in another passage, he says, if the Son, therefore, who is Jesus, sets you free, you will be free indeed. And that's where true joy comes from. Because even the thief on the cross had Because even the thief on the cross had true joy. Even though he was dying, even though he was in pain. Because he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turned to him and said, today, you will be with me in paradise. He didn't have time to get baptized. He didn't have time to go to church. He didn't have time to do acts of service. All he could do was believe. Joyfulness is characteristic of the soul that lives in communion with God. And that soul will unconsciously persuade others to taste and see that the Lord is good and that blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Parents sometimes make the mistake of talking too much to their children about salvation and showing too little joy and pleasantness around them. No grouty, sullen Christian has any influence in the home or in the church. How can the world that is bent on seeking pleasure be persuaded to seek anything that will not add to their happiness? Put another way, I've heard somebody say, if you're happy and you know it, tell your face. 
your face should reflect the face of your Savior. Like Moses, when he saw what is termed in the Old Testament as the backside of God's glory, when he came down from the mountain, his face shone so much that he put a veil over it because the people couldn't look on him. Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So even today, He wants us to shine. But you can't shine for God. You can't do any of the things that I talked about in today's message unless you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. Last time when we started, we started with verse 1, which says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. None of us are undefiled. So the answer is to trust Jesus, who is the undefiled one, to take our sin and to replace it with his righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We need to do that. Second Corinthians 5.21 When we do that, then everything else we've talked about can happen. And so I pray that if you don't know Him, that today would be the day of your salvation, that you would come to know the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Psalm 119. I thank You for the joy of the psalmist as he's writing these things, as he's talking about the richness of Your statutes, Lord. May we have a similar view of who You are and how great Your statutes to us are. May we show by our joy that we love You. And may we also show that by our love for one another. Because we are told that that's how people will know that we love you. Is because we love one another. We thank you again for this opportunity to be together. I pray that you would bless each of these as we go our separate ways. That you would make your face shine upon them and give them peace. In Jesus name. Amen.